Hi, I'm Will Schwalbe, and you're listening to But That's Another Story. When I was a kid, I was a Revolutionary War nut. I grew up right outside Boston, and so was surrounded by the landscape of the first skirmishes of the War for Independence. The revolution was everywhere, and it was like it happened just yesterday. Our school would take us on almost yearly walks on the Freedom Trail to see Old Faneuil Hall Market, where the Patriots gathered on the eve of the revolution, and the Old South Meeting House, where the Boston Tea Party began. And I had friends who lived in Concord and in Lexington, where the shot heard round the world was fired. I also read every book I could lay my hands on that covered this period. History, sure, but also novels like Johnny Tremaine by Esther Forbes and April Morning by Howard Fast, both written from the point of view of young men fighting against the British. As I grew up, I continued to read whatever I could, so I thought I really understood that conflict. But then, when I was almost 30, I came across a book that rocked my world. It was called Redcoats and Rebels, and it was the story of the American Revolution through British eyes. Same war, same facts, different perspective. It didn't so much change my view as expand it. And recently, I got to talking about seeing a familiar story from different perspectives with today's guest. I'm Monique Trung. I'm a novelist, essayist, and librettist. Monique is the author of three novels, The Book of Salt, Bitter in the Mouth, and The Sweetest Fruits, which comes out this month. I was born in Saigon in uh, 1968, and I came to the U.S. in 1975 as a refugee from the Vietnam War, and I grew up in Uh, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, in towns with fabulous names like Boiling Springs, Centerville, (laughs) and A-Leaf. When we came to Boiling Springs, um, it was right out of the relocation camps. And um, we lived in a trailer home that was essentially functioning as foreign student housing. While she had siblings, age and location separated her from them. I thought I was an only child, but in fact I had a half-sister who was seven years older than I am uh, from my father's first marriage. And she uh, was growing up in Switzerland and it took a while before we met. And then I have a younger sister who was born in uh, Kettering, Ohio, an 11-year difference between us. Monique and her mother left Vietnam first and would spend time in a relocation camp. Her father followed later. The transition from Vietnam to America was extremely difficult. I was painfully shy. I rarely spoke. Um, And this was when I was in Boiling Springs, not when I was in Vietnam. When I was in Vietnam, I was told that I was a terror. 
just an absolutely spoiled, rotten child. And, you know, um, I was very lucky to have grown up in a family that were wealthy. And so I had a chauffeur, I had, you know, a nanny, I had, there were maids within the household. All of that disappeared in a flash. And so by the time we were in Boiling Springs and living in the trailer home, there was nothing that was recognizable to me, uh, including the language. Monique would turn to books to keep her company. Reading became my way of making friends, but with imaginary friends, clearly. But I, I do remember looking at this, this, you know, shelf of books for children and seeing that it was finite. And it terrified me. I was panicked. I thought, I'm going to finish all these stories. These books could just really take me to another place. Um, I could not imagine uh, having survived my childhood <laughs> without books. She found connection through reading that she lacked at school and at home. I didn't really know my father. In Vietnam, he was never um, present because his focus was on work. And it was a very sort of uh, hierarchical household, you know. So um, I never had a sense of him as a person. And uh, in terms of my mother, reading may be too tied with school. <sighs> I'm, I'm going to say this, and I know it's going to sound pathetic. <laughs> but, and I forgive both my parents for this. They really did not have a sense that I was present. You know, and I understand. Um, and because I was quiet um, and pretty much out of the way, um, that was enough. Monique liked to read books about young women and families who were forced to fend for themselves and who survived intact. Laura Ingle Wilder's uh, Little House on the Prairie series. I, I really devoured all of them, except for Farmer Boy. Uh, just that they made everything, right? And, and it felt very self-sufficient, the self-sufficiency of that, of the kitchen and women's labor and, and how it allowed for a kind of graciousness even when they're living in, uh, you know, sort of genteel poverty. Eventually, she would discover a book with all of her favorite themes that spoke to her in a way that no other book had. I went to the library and found a copy of the book, Little Women. I don't know if I came to it with any sort of context. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I would have known who Alcott was. It just seemed like, okay, well, it's not Little Men. Little Women is a novel by Louisa May Alcott that follows the lives of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, as they come of age. The moment that they, that uh, Alcott started to write about Joe, I was hooked. <laughs> I had never had a concept of a young girl who 
had a desire to write. And I just, to this day, when I think of Jo, I think of her in that attic where she has a crate or like a basket of apples and she is writing, ink is all over her and she is as happy as, as you know, I, I could feel the bliss <laughs> of that character. And I thought, oh, I want to spend time with apples and ink. <laughs> Joe gave Monique the permission to envision a life she'd never even imagined. It showed me that it was possible. I don't know if I was, you know able at that point in life to say, aha, you know, uh, it, it wasn't so clear like that, but it did communicate to me, as I was saying, the bliss of it and, and the alone, but not lonely, aspect of writing. I wanted to be Joe. Clearly, I wanted to be Joe. <laughs> It was never that I thought, oh, what a cool or what an interesting young woman. I just thought, there's an example. There is like someone who's happy and is not caring about this, this whole business of having lovers or, you know, or, or dances or all these sort of social conventions that she was her own person. And that seems so brave and wonderful to me. Still, Monique found the edition that she took out from the library kept her from identifying fully with the characters. I think I remember feeling disappointed at the illustrations because, of course, I didn't look like Joe. <laughs> Joe didn't look like me. <laughs> and Laurie, I had this, I don't know what I had in mind for this handsome, rich you know, neighbor. But it wasn't that. And Professor Bear with a beard. The horror, you know, for a nine-year-old girl to think about a man with a beard as being a love interest. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> when we come back from the break, Monique revisits Little Women and tries to fashion for herself a life inspired by Joe. Monique headed off to college, where she studied literature, which at Yale meant theory. Even though I had this, this early, you know, sort of vision of a young woman, a writer, you know, in Joe, I did not actually understand the logistics of the modern day. How does a Joe become a published writer in you know, 1990, when I graduated from college. Before she could answer this question for herself, she went down a different path. I, um, I went to law school because I uh, was afraid. And uh, a lot of that fear came from my parents. And, um, and at that point, when I was younger, I didn't understand that it was um, fear. 
but another kind of fear would catch up with her soon enough. I um, I was working as a lawyer uh, in um, a law firm that I now often will forget, I think willfully, the, the name of. But I do remember its joke name. And may I tell you what the joke name is? Huge Cupboard of Greed, which is apropos. But so I was working as a litigator in this firm, and I was developing uh, facial tics and twitches, and my my shoulder had risen up and frozen in place because of stress, and I was crying every day. Monique found solace once more in reading. I heard that there was a poetry reading at um, the Asian American Writers Workshop, and I heard a poet who's a Vietnamese-American woman. Her name was Barbara Trang, and she was exactly my age. She had gone to Columbia and gotten her MFA. As she was reading, I'm crying. I am so moved by everything that is is being presented. Um, And I introduced myself to her afterwards, and I said, I'm a writer, (laughs) which is, I mean, that was like delusional because I hadn't written since college, you know, law school, first, you know, year of practice, no writing, creative writing. And we began to work together on an anthology of Vietnamese American poetry and prose. And it was something that was eventually published. That collection was called Watermark. What I wanted to do was that I wanted to contribute a piece to the anthology. But I didn't have anything new. So I started a short story. I took sick days off. That's right, huge cupboard greed. I took sick days. (laughs) And I wrote a short story. And it was based on a character that I, I had read, you know, in the Alice B. Toklas cookbook when I was in college. And yet this cook in their household had always, I suppose, had always been in the back of my head since then. And I sat down, I wrote this short story, and, um, and then it, it wouldn't, you know, the story wasn't over. That short story would be the beginning of her first novel, The Book of Salt. I thought, okay, now I have this short story. What can I do with this short story? I will apply for fellowships. I will apply for residencies. I'll, you know, and then it became more uh, of the texts start to appear. Then I found a literary agent. And again, it just became a way and a focus uh, out of this life that I had created for myself, which was not allowing me to truly live. The Book of Salt would become a national bestseller and win awards that included the Bard Fiction Prize. It's a book with food at its center. And the sense of taste is at the heart of her second novel. Monique has always loved cookbooks. And when she discovered Lafcadio Hearn's Creole cookbook, the first of its kind, it helped inspire her most recent novel. That was actually the very first work that I read by him, which should be no surprise to anyone who knows you know me because I have a very large collection of cookbooks and the more obscure 
uh, and focus, the better. So when I read that cookbook, <laughs> uh, some things became very clear to me. One, he was very much a man of his era. <laughs> he claimed that men were better cooks. Why? Because they were more reasonable, rational beings and who had a head for science. And he also was very, very authoritative. <laughs> of course, a cookbook author, you should be authoritative, but about everything, um, about garnishing foods to, you know, when to put meat into the broth, um, just very. And I thought, well, how did this man how did he know so much? The more she read about Lefkadi O'Hearn, the more she started to see parallels with her own life. Hearn had moments in his life early on where he was very poor um, and he was very hungry. And um, once I had that piece of information about him, it made me look at his project of writing about food differently. It, it made me more, uh, more empathetic. I identify with him in, this, in the sense that we are both <laughs> have lived very far from where we were born. And we are both travelers. And the traveling is not necessarily pleasure, <laughs> tourism kind of travel. It is, it's about searching for that sense of home, which is very different from home itself. She eventually came to see him and his life's work in a different light. What he really wanted to find was a family because he did not grow up with his father or his mother. And that really shaped his sort of feeling of loneliness in the world and, and, and why he, I think, gravitated to people who lived at the margins of, of you know, of society. I think I too, am still searching and still always drawn to those uh, places in society as well. You know, the voices that are not heard. Um, and, and the women in Hearn's life, I think, are, are very much that, you know. They, um, they are present in the biographies about him, certainly. That's how I came to them. But they were present in a very uh, diminished way, was my sense. She realized how important it was to present these other versions of Lafcadio Hearn's story and to give these women and other voices their due. I think you need more than one Alcott. You need more than one Little Women, right? You need maybe, maybe, if I had a book back then that had a little Vietnamese girl... That would have also helped me to feel a little bit more at home in the world. 
Monique revisits Little Women every year. When I reread Little Women, it really has to do with when I am feeling the lowest. Every single time I read that book, I come away at the end with this sense of goodness will prevail. (laughs) And that is such a rare, rare feeling. I think it must be the same thing that people who really enjoy mysteries, you know, uh, can get from a book in that, you know, in the end there will be a a solution. There will be, um, you know, a resolution. And for me, that's, that's how Little Women feels, that these women these girls, rather, in the beginning, they have different paths in, in life. They, they find happiness in different ways. But um, ultimately, it is found. Each time, she's reminded of the lessons that the March sisters taught her. I think it's incredibly important that boys, girls children who are uh, defining themselves not in a binary way read this novel because it, it is, again, back to this idea of goodness. And there are so many examples of that, of good work, of, of charity, of, of family. Monique holds the image of Joe surrounded by apples and ink, close. I still adore Joe. No question about that. I am certainly like Joe in the sense that I live in genteel poverty. (laughs) I'm doing what I love. I uh, have found the partner in life that uh, supports my writing. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm on the way to Joe. But That's Another Story is produced by Christy Westgard. Thanks to Monique Trung and Paul Slovak. If you'd like to learn more about the books we've mentioned in this week's episode, you can find out more in our show notes. You can also find a transcript of this episode and past ones on LitHub. If you've been enjoying the show, please be sure to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps others discover the program. And subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If there's a book that changed your life, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at anotherstory at macmillan.com. I'm Will Schwalbe. Thanks so much for listening.